You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you guys are here. A couple weeks ago, we started a sermon series on disciple making. And usually uh, when I want to to get you guys to buy into a sermon, I try to start with a funny story or some jokes or something that kind of makes us friends, but uh, tonight is not that night. I have no jokes, no stories, and very little time. I have more notes than usual, more slides than usual, and the biggest topic in the history of the world. You guys ready? Okay, grab your Bibles quick. Let's go. Luke chapter 9. We're going to be there in just a moment, Uh, but we're talking about disciple making and how it is the one job that Christ has given the church. Go, make disciples of all nations. What Jesus did with his life is he made disciples, and it is the job of the church to to carry that on, that he started a disciple-making movement, and we are to carry that on. And so if you're new to Resonate, this is a good time to be here, because this shows you where we want to go as a church. If you've been around a while, it's time for us to own this as who God has called us to be. So I want to try to give us the meta story of what God is doing through disciple-making, and then land it in a much more uh, practical place for us. So here we go. In the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, chapter 13, there's this crazy verse that says, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And what that verse means is that Jesus, before the world was even created, was on a pathway to be slain, to to die for the people in the world. So before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. You're like, whoa, that's a crazy thought. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus appeared at the culmination of the ages, that when Jesus showed up, it was a huge deal. It was the plan of God being revealed, and he was the final and perfect and end all sacrifice. But if you ever think for a moment, like, why did God choose the time period that he chose to send Jesus into the world? Like, why didn't he choose today when Jesus could have, like, had a YouTube channel and been seen as an influencer and been on Facebook Live every day, you know, selling his product or whatever? Like, Jesus could have done that in this time period. You would think that technology would have helped the the mission of God. But no, God chose the first century in Galilee and Nazareth and Jerusalem. The Son of God was sent born of a virgin named Mary, and we don't hear much about him until he's 12 years old, and his parents leave him at the temple. They forget him there, and they go on. And for those of you who don't have kids, you get all judgy about that. For those of us who do have kids, we're like, that is very normal. Like, I have left my kid at the farmer's market multiple times. And I looked at my wife, and they're like, you? No? Me? Oh, gosh. Here we go. So... It makes me like Mary more that she left Jesus there. But when they go back to get Jesus, he says something wild. He tells his mom, like, didn't you know I would be at my father's house? And you're like, does he not know this is the temple? This ain't your dad's house. And he's like, no, this is my father's house. So, and, and then he lives and he works as a carpenter or a stonemason for, uh, for, his, for his life. That's what he does. And then when he's 30... He becomes known as a teacher. And so in the world's view of this, they call him a rabbi. And a rabbi is a significant thing because in the first century, rabbis would gain followers and they would invite followers to follow them and to take on their teaching and carry it on uh, to, to ultimately get their message out. And you see this, uh, the apostle Paul was taught by a famous rabbi named Gamaliel. And so it was a big deal to be invited by a rabbi. And so what happens with Jesus is when he shows up on the scene, 
Uh, man, the book of Mark is, is the first gospel. So the earliest book written in the New Testament was the book of Mark. And if you were to think like, what's the first book of the New Testament? What does Jesus say first? In Mark chapter one, verse 14, uh, it says this, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And in verse 15, the first time you see words in red, if you have that in your Bible, very first thing Jesus says is this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He's like, the culmination of the ages are here. What's been planned before the foundation of the world is in motion. The time is at hand. Let's go. The kingdom of God's here. What do I need to do, Jesus? Repent and believe the gospel. You're like, whoa, Jesus, bro, you should have started with a joke. It really warmed up the crowd a little. You kind of came in hot there. But that's what he does. That's verse 15 of Mark chapter one. Verse 16, Jesus sees Peter. Verse 17, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to follow him. They're fishermen. They like drop their nets and leave. Verse 19, James and John are fishermen. He calls them. They drop their nets and leave. In five Bible verses, we have the message of the kingdom, the Messiah bringing the kingdom and four disciples recruited for the mission. You're like, dang, this this brother started hot. Like, let's go. And that's what you have. And so if you ask, like, why, why did these guys drop their nets and follow him? Well, it was a big deal to be invited to follow a rabbi. And honestly, James and John and Andrew and Peter had been, had been looked over by other rabbis. So they're back to their parents' trade. They're fishing. And Jesus calls them, follow me. And they're like mending their nets with their dad. And they look at their dad and their dad's like, hey, that's a rabbi. You guys get out of here. They drop their nets and they go and they follow him. And Jesus wasn't just simply a rabbi to his disciples. We got to catch this. His reputation was a teacher, sure, but he was also a prophet of God. He spoke the words of God. He was a priest. He, he was an intermediary between people and God. He was also the king of all kings. He was the fulfillment of the law in human form. Jesus was the kingdom of God among us. And he called 12 men to follow him, ordinary guys. And he taught them. And his teaching was uh, widespread and it offended people and it attracted people and it offended people and it attracted people. And ultimately he teaches his disciples to pray, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to preach the good news. And the very end, the very first thing Jesus tells his disciples is follow me, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. He's talking to fishermen. He's like, you guys fish fish, you're gonna fish men, follow me. And the last thing he tells them is go into all nations, making disciples, doing what I did for you, you go into all nations. And, and you're like, Josh, why are you telling me all that? I'm telling you all that because when Jesus told his disciples to go in the New Testament, they were ready to go. It was built in their DNA. They were like, all right, let's do this. And Jesus has to tell them like, actually not yet. Like don't go yet because you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. And if you go without the Holy Spirit, you're gonna ruin everything I've been working for like before the foundations of the world. So uh, hang on. And he sends the Holy Spirit and then ultimately they, they do it. They're compelled into mission. They're compelled And because of these disciples, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I have the gospel. And so when you look at the New Testament, you see Peter, James, John, Levi, Paul, Timothy, Mary, Lydia, Priscilla, Aquila, Barnabas, all of them were faithful in their generation to make disciples. And so we as your pastors come to you, Resonate Church, and we say, hey guys, it's our turn now. It's just our turn. Jesus fully intended to start a disciple-making movement that would ultimately be the strategy to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the American church has got to figure this out. And Resonate Church, we have got to figure this out, which begs the question, if it is our one job to make disciples, then what are the real reasons we don't make 
disciples. And so for that, I want to read to us uh, out of Luke chapter 9, where Jesus tells us what is a disciple, and in telling us what is a disciple, he also shows us the reasons why we aren't making disciples. So starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 9, it says this. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there till you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the town as a testimony against them. So they went out from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So this is a... This is like practice. Like Jesus hasn't left yet. So in sports, this is like a scrimmage. He's like, okay, guys, we got a scrimmage. I'm the coach. I'm going to send you out with power and authority. You're going to do some stuff. and We're going to come back and kind of talk it out. So he sends them out and they do it. And God is powerful among them. And it's awesome. And they come back and like they're gaining a crowd. And so the next thing you read in in Luke chapter nine is the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. That means there was a massive crowd of people following after Jesus. And then if you scroll down a little bit to verse 18, You've got the disciples are sent out, a crowd is gathered, and then in verse 19, they have a conversation with with the disciples and Jesus after the crowd has left. So it's actually verse 18. It says this, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked, who do the crowd say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets from long ago has come back to life. What about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. God's Messiah. And Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Verse 23, this is where we got to take this to heart. And then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and let you lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father of the holy angels. And so this is the picture we have here of what Jesus is doing to make sure that we know what discipleship is. And in telling us what discipleship is, it's pretty clear that some of us might see what discipleship isn't. And so here it is. What are the real reasons we don't make disciples? I'm going to say these kindly and softly so that none of you get mad at me, okay? Because these are Jesus' words. So if you're offended today, be like, man, I left church and like Jesus really offended me. Not Josh, okay? Like we're cool. Jesus here, all right? What if, what if maybe, 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 everybody relax. What if one of the reasons we don't make disciples is that we've never been taught how? And you're like, okay, never been taught how. That's not that offensive. Maybe we were a part of churches that didn't prioritize it. Okay, cool. Uh, And and if we're not careful, we go, those are the reasons we don't make disciples. And we pick the practical reasons why we don't make disciples. So maybe those are it. And we're going to talk about those in a minute. But listen, let's, let's, let's go a step lower and let's look at the foundational reasons we don't make disciples. Not we weren't taught or we weren't modeled or our church didn't prioritize it. Like we'll get to that. But what if these foundational things are actually the issue? So here's my question. Maybe... Maybe the reason we don't make disciples is because we've made Jesus too easy to follow. We've made Jesus too easy to follow. Our emphasis, what what if our emphasis on evangelism has reduced the gospel down to getting people out there to pray a prayer? 
That's the end game. Hey, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Because all you've got to do to be a Christian is ask Jesus into your heart. And if you ask him into your heart, then you're good. And like, you know, like try not to sin very much now because like you're a Christian, like clean it up a little. Uh, And then also great news, you don't like have to go to eternal separation from God when you die called hell. And we've reduced the gospel to praying a prayer. And when you do that, what happens is no one will see the need or understand the expectation of discipleship being for every follower of Jesus. And so accepting Jesus into your heart, inviting Christ into your life, one, that's nowhere in the New Testament. You don't see that terminology anywhere. Yet that is the thing that we throw out for people all the time. And they misunderstand the expectations of disciple making in that invitation. So uh, I, I remember going to a youth camp when I was a kid and, and hearing these, these pastors get up and they would teach on stuff and they would be like weeping and like telling these stories that were crazy. And I, I remember the, the gospel being explained as like all of us were swimming in the ocean and we were like about to drown. And Jesus was like on a lifeboat and he would like swing by and he was flinging out life jackets and, and the pastor would yell out, just grab a life jacket. Jesus wants to pull you in, just grab a life jacket. And, and you need to pray this prayer. And if you pray this prayer, it's your opportunity to grab the life jacket and let Jesus pull you in. And I was like, I don't want to drown. What's the prayer? Let's go. I want to be pulled in. Like, I don't even like swimming that much. Come on. It's a terrifying illustration. I remember being a part of this uh, ministry that did this, this drama called Hell's Gates and Heaven's Flames. And it was these scenario after scenario of people like dying and going before Peter and being like looking through the Lamb's Book of Life to see if their name was in there. And it was just terrifying thing. And at the end of it, you're like, is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? You're like, I hope so. Like, what do I do? Just pray this prayer. And right now, Peter will write your name. And I was like, really? That's it? And so these good intended things misrepresented the gospel. We are not swimming in the ocean grabbing life jackets. According to Ephesians chapter two, we are dead and dead people don't swim. They're on the bottom of the ocean. And the reason why the gospel is good news is because every other world religion is throwing life jackets. Grab on, try harder, swim, you can make it. The the, the shore is only 100 miles away. You keep trying, you'll get there. And if you get on your own, God will be pleased with you. And then that's, that's what's presented to us. And the good news of Jesus is that while we were dead in our sin, Jesus didn't just throw a life jacket. He jumped out of the boat. He came to our world. He swam to us and he breathed life into us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't like look at the ocean and be like, oh, who are the good ones? No, he came to us dead in our sin. And he, he breathed life into you when you did nothing to earn or deserve. He gave you grace and he, he brought you back to the boat alive and gifted you, rebirthed life in you. And when you see that, you're overwhelmed and you're thankful. And so you go, the, the reason I'm telling you this is because Jesus is not some poor, puny, wimpy savior throwing out life jackets looking to be accepted. No, 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 no. Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe, absolutely worthy of your obedience. Don't downgrade him to some guy out there in the ocean looking to save people by throwing out life jackets. He's infinitely worthy of everything. And so... He's not looking to be accepted in your heart. He created your heart. He's looking for you to obey him now that you've been brought back to life. And so we've got to recognize that we have been taught the disciple making. Uh, we, we haven't been taught the disciple making is the biblical response to the gospel. We haven't been taught the disciple making is the biblical response to the gospel. And if we don't see the disciple making is that we're never going to get to a place where we believe it and live it. Because we're going to think it was just praying a prayer or it was just walking uh, you know, you know, forward so that we were scared and we didn't have to go to hell. 
So maybe that, that would be it, that we've made Jesus too easy to follow. Number two, what if maybe we want to gain the world instead of lose our life? Verse 25, it said, what good is it if someone gains the whole world, yet they lose their life or forfeit themselves? Uh, one of the hardest things about following Jesus and one of the hardest things about preaching Jesus to college students uh, is that you guys have a plan for your life. You guys have a design, you have a major, you know what you're gonna do, you know the job you're gonna get, you know the, the cool apartments you're gonna live in, you know the life you have, you have a whole life plan. And just to be really honest, it is much easier for you to grab your life and say, hey, this is, this is happening. Like, nobody mess with this. Like, I'm on a mission. This is happening. Hey, Jesus, let me overlay you on a life I already chose. Hey, Jesus, what if you just like kind of look in on my life and, and say it's all good? And so what we do with Jesus is we're like, hey, here's what's going on. And Jesus is like, oh, cool. So yeah, you basically just keep it up. And we think we could just add or supplement Jesus to our life. But the scripture is clear. Like when you come to Jesus, you, you lose your life. And so a Christianity that doesn't teach we, we lose our life leads to a consumer Christianity filled with consumer Christians looking for Christianity to serve them. And so then you go around looking for churches that meet your needs instead of a church where you could meet a need. And people are like, hey, Josh, I'm moving away. What should I look for in a church? A church that will teach you to make disciples. That's what you should look for in a church. Not great worship, not cool kids programs, not like who has snow cones in the lobby. Like, that would be cool though, right? Like snow cones in the lobby. I would like... I would have to go back to that church a couple times, even if I didn't like it, just to hit up a snow cone. Like, that's a draw for me, personally. Especially if it's shaved ice, you're like, all right, that's a, I gotta pray about this. But it leads to consumer Christianity, where, 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 where all of your decisions basically are left to benefit you. And churches feel pressure, and churches then have to perform so that you'll go there. And when we do that in Christianity, what we're left with is Christians that look like the world and churches that look like the world. And when you have Christians that look like the world and churches that look like the world, you are no longer any benefit to the world. And you basically have a life that everybody else has, but you just kind of ask Jesus to bless it. And your Instagram posts are like kind of positive. <laughs> and your life is like kind of smiley. And, and you're basically like everybody else but yeah, oh yeah, of course I love Jesus. Yeah, he's an add-on. He's great. He loves this stuff. Listen, coming to Jesus is losing your life. And if you don't get that, then you'll never make disciples. Why? Because making disciples is losing your life. I've learned that in parenting. When you have kids, you lose your life as you know it. You lose your nights, you lose your mornings, you lose everything. Your, your mornings are dead to you now. You've lost it. Your evenings are dead to you. Your friends hanging out, that's no longer happening. What your body used to look like, dead. Your face, dead looking. You're gonna gain some weight, you're gonna be sad, it's coming. You will lose your life as you know it. But it's the best thing ever. Because in losing your life, you gain life. And that's the picture of disciple making here. Maybe some of us wanna gain the world instead of lose our life and we're not making disciples because of that. Number three, what if, what if we're ashamed because of the fear of man? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, Jesus says, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when they come into his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But let's be honest, disciple making kind of puts you out there. Because like, let's say you want to be, a, be discipled. You have to put yourself out there. You got to go to people and say, hey, like, I, I want to be discipled. And, and if you could possibly be rejected in that, that kind of puts yourself out there and you could feel some shame in that to say, oh, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. Someone disciple me. And it could be humbling for that. 
Or on the other side, you could say, hey, I actually want to make disciples. Like I've been following Jesus a while. I think I could help others to follow Jesus. And so you got to put yourself out there. And then, you know, it's a little bit like dating. Like, hey, do you want me to disciple you? You're like, no, I don't. And so there's this awkwardness that could be available in the space. Because I think most of us think about disciple making in the life of the church. So let me, let's get a little crazy for a moment. I I, I think the church thing is cool, but like, let's, let's get crazy. And, and by crazy, I mean biblical, but we're going to call it crazy. Okay. Like, let's, let's get crazy. Like the Bible. Ready? Because what, what if disciple making wasn't just re, uh, reorganizing the church that who's already here? What if disciple making is seen in the first century in the new Testament was that if you were a Christian, you had to think about reaching your city and your campus and your workplace and the places you were. What if you had to go into those places and do this? You had to proclaim that the kingdom of God was here. And you had to share that all of us are dead in our sins, but there's a great news that God is a loving God who sent his son to pay every debt imaginable. And you had to proclaim that to people. And people would come to believe that because of your life, because of your proclamation, your demonstration and your proclamation would lead to people coming from death to life. And those people are outside the church. And then you would train them up. You would give your life to them. You would train them up to become like Jesus so that then they could go and they could tell the same story to people in their lives. That is crazy, but that's the biblical picture. And if you are called to that, which by the way, we are, then you would have to be so, so spirit-filled. You'd have to be so bold. You'd have to be spirit-led. You'd have to be spirit-dependent. You would go to your Bible desperate for the word. You would pray desperate for the word. You'd be like, God, I can't do this. And it would make you desperate. It would push you into prayer. You would go into your workplace and you would be a different kind of person. You would, you would process this so differently. And because that's too hard and that's too crazy, what we do in the church is we say, that's too hard. That must only be for special people. That must only be for like staff members or pastors or the really special Christians. There's no way that's for me. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, nah, no, nah, that's, that's for everyone. Because if we're going to reach every kind of person for the gospel, we need every kind of person taking the gospel. If we're going to get the gospel to every nook and cranny of society, then we need every kind of person in every nook and cranny of society being a disciple maker. So it's not simply reorganizing the church. It's us owning the mission that Jesus gave the first disciples. Go into the world Tell them who I am. Train them up so that they can be sent out as well. But that's hard, which leads to point number four. And maybe we're doing this. Maybe we've made compromises because the demand is just too high. Maybe we've made compromises because we're like, it's just too high. Like, there's no way Jesus meant that. So we start messing with the scripture and messing with the hermeneutics. And we're like, in the Greek, it doesn't really mean that. In the Greek, die doesn't mean die. And you're like, no, it means die. In the Greek, take up your cross means like, come to church. No, it means take up your cross and follow me. And so I want to read this to you a little bit further down in Luke chapter 9. Jesus like triples down on his message. If you think he was like chilling earlier, just wait. He's about to dial it up. This is fun. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And they were walking along the road, and a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go, which seems like really kind. And Jesus is like, good, cool. But verse 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is intense. So intense. 
We all have that friend that's a little intense and kind of sucks the air out of the room. And you're like, bro, you need to dial it back. Like all that guy said is, Jesus, I'll follow you. Did you really have to yell back? No, you won't. Foxes have dens and birds have nests. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. That's a little intense, Jesus. Like you, you got to dial it back. And, and, and let's be honest. You, you could be like, whoa, whoa, this is much. This is a little much. This passage of scripture would not make sense if Jesus was just a rabbi. But he's not just a rabbi. He's not just a teacher. He's, he's the teacher, capital T. He's the priest, capital P. He's the king, capital K. He is God in the flesh. So it is only right and only proper for God in the flesh to be very clear about what it means to follow him. That he must reign supreme in all things. He must, he expects to reign supreme because he is supremely worthy. And so you go, man, I just want to say goodbye to my parents. And he's like, supremacy of Christ in all things. I, I just, man, I got a funeral to go to. Like, I'm just trying to bury my dad. No, come on, let's go do this. And so what he's talking about is the place he needs to hold in all of our lives. Supremacy. And he fully expects for obedience of his disciples to make disciples. Because he fully expects us to do that because that's his strategy to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. So you go, yeah, it's costly. Yeah, it's huge. One of the things I've learned about discipleship as I've read about this and been led in this um, is the cost is more significant than we realize. So let me say it this way. The cost of making disciples is significant until you compare it to the cost of not making disciples. The cost is significant. And Jesus raises the bar higher than any of us are comfortable with. It is significant. Why is the cost so significant? Because if we don't do it, the cost is more significant. And what do you mean? What do you mean, John? How, how, how are you saying that? I'm saying there are people in the world right now who live in countries that oppress the gospel, who've never heard the gospel. There are people in our campuses and in our cities that need the gospel. There's people uh, in unreached people groups that have never even heard about Jesus. So if we really believe what the Bible says about the gospel, then we really know that other people need it. And so here, here's what I mean. If, if you're in the world and you haven't heard the gospel, then that means someone who has the gospel hasn't brought it to you. And if it hasn't been brought to you, then that means you're going to live and you're going to die without the gospel and you're going to ultimately land in eternal separation from God. And again, I think this is hard. Many of you in the church are like, whoa, whoa hang on a second. Like if, the, if someone's never heard the gospel, they, they go to hell? That, that seems extreme. Listen, that's bad logic because what that means is we shouldn't share the gospel with anyone because the moment you show up and share the gospel... You're like, oh, why'd you tell that to me? Before I heard it, I was fine. I was gonna like not go, like it's, it's, it's bizarre logic. We have been given the mandate to take this thing to the ends of the earth. And if we don't live into it, lives are on the line. That's why Jesus is making this such a big deal. Uh, there's a great story of Charles Spurgeon, the, the, the great pastor in London telling uh, some of his students about this. Uh, and someone came to him and they, they said this, Charles, do you think someone who's never heard about Jesus can be saved? And he said, that's a troubling question. He said, but even more troubling is whether we who know the gospel and are doing nothing to bring it to those who are lost can be saved. So, hey, those who don't have the gospel, can they be saved? And Spurgeon goes, that's a tough question. You know what's more tough? That we have the gospel and we're doing nothing about that. Can we be saved? 
So the cost of making disciples is significant, but the cost of not doing it is more significant. Lives are on the line. Jesus knows that, so he needs disciples. You go, why? Because those people that don't have the gospel, you know what they need? They need a disciple to move to them. And what does that disciple need to do? He needs to go proclaim the kingdom. He needs to heal the sick. He needs to pray. He needs to move forward with the gospel. And someone's going to come from death to life in their culture, in their context, and they're going to believe. And guess what that guy needs to do? He needs to train them up so that they can then take the gospel to their village. So that what? They can proclaim the kingdom, pray for the sick, make them known that God loves them and is for them so that people can come to know Christ and, and this thing can move forward. That's what's so beautiful about disciple making, that in one person, you get the whole. In one seed, you get the forest. That's why it's such a significant call because it is the whole story. And so you go, okay, Josh, enough, I get it. I see the cost, but I want it. What does it look like for us in Resonate Church to make disciples? If we believe those foundational things are happening and we're gonna fight against those and we say, okay, I wanna make disciples, how do we make this practical? So as practically as we can say this, here's how we try to do this at Resonate Church. We say that, that we need environments that look like this. Under the declaration that Jesus is Lord, disciple making flourishes at the intersection of invitation, challenge, and mission. Disciple making flourishes at the, at the intersection of invitation, challenge, and mission. So we need environments that are high invitation, high challenge, and high mission because that environment looks like the environment Jesus had with his 12 disciples. High invitation, high challenge, high mission. When you do that well, you are going to accelerate what God has designed for us to live into. So invitation, what does that mean? It means we're mutually submitted to family closeness. Open homes, open schedules, open hearts. We have committed to one another. Uh, we, we don't have to have a DTR with one another. We know like, hey, we're in, we're doing this thing. We're no longer awkwardly dating. Like, hey, we're gonna do disciple making. We're gonna make this happen. And we are committed to build family together. Now, there's a church in California that uses the phrase refrigerator rights. Refrigerator rights is what it looks like to have family closeness. It means somebody can come to your house, open the refrigerator, drink your milk, and you don't even think about it. You're not mad at them. You're not like, looks like you took eight ounces. I'll be uh, asking you for eight ounces of milk tomorrow, or you're dead to me. You know, like, which is how you treat your roommates, right? <laughs> no? Too, too, too close to home for some of you? This church also has lock boxes on their houses where they can get in all the time. I was in California at one of their events and I needed to borrow a car and someone threw me keys to a car. And I was like, is this your car? They're like, no, but it's fine. I'm like, you're loaning someone else's car? And they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm like, that's family right there. Like I would totally loan out my brother's car and think nothing of it. But like, take it, have some fun. Like, <laughs> like that's family closeness. It's Acts chapter two in our day, sharing life, life on life, doing this together, dailiness, high invitation. You are welcomed in. When that happens, things can flourish, but it can't just be that, it's also gotta be challenge. Challenge, we're, we're mutually committed to transformation through repentance, belief, and obedience. So we're not just hanging out. We're committed to the word of God. We're gonna read it together. We're gonna wrestle it together. Uh, we're gonna do the hard work of holding each other accountable. We're gonna take spiritual responsibility for one another. We're becoming like Jesus together. We are making Jesus Lord together. We're dragging each other to the gospel again and again. We're dragging each other out of sin again and again. We're speaking identity over each other. There is high challenge. When that happens, man, it's beautiful and it's powerful. 
I remember being in a huddle where there was a guy crying because he was just stuck in his sin. He just felt like a failure. And he was just over and over like, I can never get past this. Like, no matter what I do, I can't get over this. I'm just such a failure. I'm such a failure. And another dude in our huddle like stood up and yelled at him. That's not who you are. I was like, whoa. That that was, dial it back, bro. (laughs) Like, it was very Jesus-y of you to like scream at him. That's not who you are. But that was the picture. There was high challenge there. I've seen it on the other side where someone kept dabbling in sin and someone stood up and yelled, you got to get out of that. You are sinning, you're hiding, and you're losing your ministry. Get out of that. And you're like, whoa, that's intense. But those brothers did life together, so it wasn't intense. When you have an environment of high challenge, an environment of high invitation, things can flourish. But you also need mission mission that we are mutually expecting to multiply in obedience to the great commission of Jesus. So we're not just allowing this thing to end with us. It's not just high invitation, which is kumbaya, nobody say anything hard. And it's not just ruthless, hard truth all the time, because that's not good for flourishing. It's high invitation, high challenge, and we're doing something together that's not going to end with us. Through our lives, we're going to see people in our city come to know Jesus. And when that happens, we're going to multiply ourselves out so that this thing can continue to move forward because it's our turn. And that's what we're after. We see this modeled perfectly with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus was the master disciple maker. He was perfect at invitation. He was perfect at challenge. He was perfect at mission. We see this in Matthew chapter 16 with a conversation between him and Peter. Uh, in Matthew 16, they have another one of these, who do people say that I am? And, Jesus, and Peter says, I believe you're the Christ. And Jesus tells him, man, exactly. On, because of that confession, Peter, and because of who you are, Peter, like, we're gonna build a church on that. that. That is profound invitation. Like, let's go, Peter, you're gonna do this. It's gonna be awesome. Like six or seven verses later, Jesus says, I'm gonna go to the cross. And Peter says, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's high challenge, high invitation. Peter, I'm going to build the church on you. A few minutes later, Peter, stop acting like the devil. You ever done that to someone in your life? Hey, you need to stop acting like the devil. And I'm not being sarcastic. Like, you need to be careful. Satan is messing with you. That's, that's intense. And worse than that, he calls Satan, he calls him Satan. He's like, get behind me. Like, you're acting like Satan, get behind me. That's, that's powerful invitation challenge. And then Peter ends up denying Jesus three times in the crucifixion uh, story where he's going to the cross. Jesus resurrects from the dead and cooks Peter breakfast. Are you kidding me? Peter's out fishing again because he's like, well, I guess I failed on that whole like being a disciple thing, so I'll just go back and fish. Peter sees Jesus on the shore cooking him breakfast. And he's like, that is not, no way. That's, that brother was, res- What? Jumps out of the boat fully, read it, it's in the Bible. Jumps out of the boat fully clothed. And Jesus tells him, hey, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. We're not, we're not fishing anymore. We're fishing men now. That's, that whole mission thing is still going. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep, Peter. Do you love me? Third time, feed my sheep. Three times reinstated because three times he denied. And that sets Peter on fire. Literally, preaches in Acts chapter two, fire falls down. Like Peter is in it, invitation, challenge, and mission, perfectly shown and modeled by our Lord, and it's what we are invited into as well. We gotta walk in this, we gotta live in this, as hard as it may be, we've gotta do it. 
So you go, okay, Josh, what am I supposed to do now? Really practically. I want to be as practical as possible. I want all of you to know where you can find yourself right now and the next step you can take to be obedient to Jesus, to have the trajectory of becoming a disciple maker. If that's, the, if that's our job, be disciple makers. How do we do that? So number one, practically as we can make this. Number one, go to Sunday gathering and village faithfully and contribute. Come to church a lot. Like don't miss. Show up, engage, contribute. Go to village a lot. Like don't miss. Faithfully engage, contribute. You go, okay, that's, that's pretty simple. Yeah, that's a big deal. Show up. Some of the most powerful things in life happen just by you showing up over and over. I'm gonna keep showing up. I'm gonna prioritize that. Prioritize that. You go, okay, Josh, I'm doing that. Cool. Number two, say yes when you're invited into a grow group. Your village leader knows who comes to church a lot. Your village leader knows who comes to village a lot. And at some point, they're gonna see you as the kind of person that wants to be like Jesus and they're gonna invite you into a grow group. What's a grow group? It's an opportunity to make sure that you know the gospel, that you understand the scriptures, that you're the kind of person who can be held accountable. It's a great place to grow. That's why it's called a grow group. It's a group of people growing. (laughs) Crazy. And through that, you get to see who our church is and you get to see what accountability looks like. And so the third thing, become an owner at the next available class. Join in the mission. Say, I want to be a part of this. I want to make disciples in this church. I want to do this. And listen, as your staff, when we go to ownership, here's what we hear. You you say, I want to join the church. What we hear you saying, it's a little bit like Spanish, English translation. You say, I want to join the church. What we hear you say is, I want to be a disciple maker. That's what we hear. And so it is our goal, we're not perfect at this, but it is our goal to make sure every one of our owners is a part of a discipleship environment on the trajectory to become a disciple maker. Which leads to number four. If you're doing all that, number four, join a huddle. Commit to being transformed through daily Bible reading, invitation challenge, repentance, belief, mission, and accountability. A huddle is for people who want to hear from the Lord, respond to the Lord, be transformed by Jesus, and trained to be a disciple maker of Jesus. So our huddle is our environment where invitation, challenge, and mission really take off. But we don't know if you're ready for a huddle unless you come to church, unless you go to village, unless you become an owner. These are pathways for us. Is the bar high? Yeah, we sometimes don't think it's high enough. We want you to come to stuff, show up to stuff and say, I want to do this. And so huddle is the environment where we really give our lives to each other. Number five, when your leader sees that you're ready, so if you're in a huddle, listen up. When your leader sees that you're ready, multiply out and lead your own grow group from within village of people who are faithfully attending and contributing. So those of you who are in huddle, what's, what's next for you? Look around village and say, who keeps showing up? Who might be ready to grow? Who might be on the pathway to this? And then invite them into a grow group. Invite them to read the Bible with you. Invite them to join you on this. And then lastly, number six, transition your grow group to a huddle when those people are ready to become owners and are on the path to disciple making. Do you see the cycle of this? Come to church, come to village, join a grow group, join the church, join a huddle, Turn around, lead a grow group, multiply out. Where are you in the path and what's your next step? That's the question I have for you. Where are you in the path and what is your next step? And would you be bold enough to say yes to the next thing God's asking you to do? And here's why we're saying all that. The reason that we're saying all that is because making disciples is the natural outflow of being a disciple. 
Making disciples is the natural outflow of being a disciple. So in other words, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are trying to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, then the spirit of God is inviting you to turn and do that for others. The disciple making is the natural outflow of being a disciple. And so wherever you find yourself today, I I hope that the words of Jesus have offended you and I hope they've attracted you. And I hope you find yourself today going, "I, I can't settle anymore for knowing that I prayed a prayer one time and I go to church sometimes. I can no longer settle because the words are clear that Jesus has a high expectation of his followers. And he is not okay with us thinking that we can consume religion for the remainder of our lives and stand before him with great confidence. He has dove into the water to resurrect our dead selves so that we would do this for others. So I I love you. Stop settling for a Christianity that is mostly built on a past where you prayed a prayer and that you attend an event once a week and feel guilty most of the time. That is not good enough. It is not what you were created for. It's not what you were designed for. And it's not what flourishes in your spirit. So God's asking you to take the next step to say yes to the next thing. Our church is not perfect at this. We are absolutely flawed, but we're committed to inviting you into it. And we're going to grow together and we're going to figure this thing out. So wherever you are, humble yourself and say yes to the next thing God's asking you. For his glory in the nations, say yes to the next thing he's asking you. Let's be a church that says yes to Jesus. I want to pray that we be those kind of people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you are clear with us. God, we do not have to wonder what your will is. We do not have to wonder what you're asking of us. You are so clear that you have asked us to be men and women who are disciple makers. And God, you've asked us to be faithful because now it's our turn. God, we're so grateful for the generations that have gone before us. We're so grateful that we have the gospel because others were faithful But God, it's our turn now. And so Lord, would we be bold and would we be humble? Humble enough to accept the fact that we are where we are and bold enough to take the next step towards you. God, make us humble right now. Humble us and show us where we are. Don't let us feel like a failure. Don't let us beat ourselves up. Just show us where we are tonight, God. And then give us the boldness to take the next step. Oh God, please don't let us settle for a Christianity that was I prayed a prayer and now I go to an event. God, we repent of believing that that's what you wanted for us. When God, you look down at your church and you you rejoice and you smile and you know that your strategy to get the gospel to the ends of the earth is working. So God, we want to be a part of that. So God, give us the boldness to move forward and to say yes to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.